Uh, today is the first uh, of several uh, sermons we're going to be taking part of from the Gospel of Luke about parables. We started the year with the birth narrative, Luke 1 and 2. Uh, we moved in to encounters with Jesus. Uh, and then we moved in uh, to the Lent season of the Passion Week that we see in the Gospel of Luke. And now we're doing parables from Luke for the next several weeks. We've been hopping around, mostly been in Luke uh, for the entirety of this ministry year. And so the parable we're going to look at today is about hospitality. What do you think of when you think of hospitality? Do you think of Martha Stewart and HGTV? I mean, it, it, it's hard for Martha not to put you at ease, isn't it? It's hard for Martha not to make you hungry. Maybe when you think about uh, ho- hospitality, you think of uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines. You think about the silos in Waco. And it's hard not to covet the vibes of Joanna and Chip, right? I mean, they've created what is the ultimate brand, if you ask me. But make no mistake, just because their brands are about the domestic life doesn't mean they have nailed the idea of hospitality. I think a better example can be found in the story of Samuel de Champlain. Samuel de Champlain was a French settler who settled in what is now Maine. And within his colony, he formed what he referred to as the Order of Good Cheer. In the Order of Good Cheer, he invited the local Native Americans to share meals with himself and the other French settlers. Now, this is a very different strategy of interacting with Native Americans. Other European settlers, they interacted with the Native Americans who were strangers by sequestering them, by annihilating them. So D. Champlain's tactic was radically different. He treated them as equals. And here's what he wrote about his practice of sharing meals. He said this, They sat at table, eating and drinking like ourselves, And we were glad to see them, while on the contrary, their absence saddened us. And guess what? His foreign relations strategy worked. And he had very different outcomes than the other settlers. But let's be clear. Hospitality like this is costly. It's personal. It's expensive. It's invasive. It's awkward. And in the life of Jesus, eating meals with people who were unlike him and like him takes a prominent place. One of my friends, a pastor, when he was doing communion, he said this, and you probably heard me say it. He said, every time we see Jesus in the Gospels, he was either at a meal, leaving a meal, or on his way to a meal. Reminds me of what Jim Gaffigan said, that vacations are really all about eating. You guys ever seen that one? And I think... Jim Gaffigan's right about vacations, and I think that's a good representation of the Gospels of Jesus and eating. So the passage under our consideration today is a parable from Jesus about hospitality. From Luke chapter 14, we'll start in verse 12. Jesus also said to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. 
When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man who once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me an excuse. And another, the second, said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excuse. And another, the third, said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. The word of the Lord. I want us to see three principles about gospel hospitality in our text. Here's the first one for us note takers. Gospel hospitality requires inviting needy guests. Look at those first three verses, verses 12 to 14. In verses 12 to 14, Jesus says, don't invite your friends or family to the meal. But rather, invite this group of people, the poor, the lame, the crippled, and the blind. So what does Jesus mean? Well, look at his life. Jesus clearly eats with his friends frequently. Those are the disciples, the twelve. And he does this on dozens of occasions. We also see Jesus had to have eaten meals with his family. His mother and his brothers were said to be among his disciples who followed him around in his public ministry. So surely he shared meals with his family too. So is Jesus preaching one thing in verse 12 to 14 and doing something very different in the rest of his life? Well, if we were to look at the next passage, Jesus talks about discipleship. And in verse 26, we didn't read this, and I'll read it to you. Here's what Jesus says in verse 26. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and yes and even his own life he cannot be my disciple now we all know that jesus doesn't want us to actually hate our various family members therefore hate cannot be synonymous with despise what hate means is it means to love less This was just a Semitic way of speaking, and we do the very same thing. Think about when someone says, I was so mad I wanted to kill him. You said that, right? Well, we know what that means, and we know it's not literal. We know the person who says it's just using a literary device. We know that this passage and what we say when we say, I was so angry I wanted to kill him, we're really just saying, uh, that we're not what is stated as a plain not X but Y, it really means not so much X as rather Y. In other words, 
Hospitality is more about inviting needy people into your home than it is your friends and family. Now, I know that softens it just a touch, but Jesus doesn't mean to be soft. And that's why he speaks so strongly so that we might hear him. What Jesus is speaking to is about a creation of a whole new social order in which the boundaries that normally exclude people might now include them. And so what he does is he initiates a new community grounded in gracious and over-the-top hospitality. And what makes it gracious and over-the-top is who the hospitality is extended towards, the outsider, the stranger, and the needy. But there's a second reason why it's hard to hear that gospel hospitality requires needy guests. And it's this. We don't like to view ourselves as needy, do we? See, the master of the banquet in the story that Jesus tells, he sends out this invitation. And he sends it out through a servant. And the servant gives this invitation to three different people, and all three of those people give an excuse. Did you catch that? The first excuse comes from someone who's bought a field, but now he's got to go back and check on it. The second one is about a man who buys five pair of oxen. Now, a pair of oxen was used to plow about 20 to 25 acres of land in the Middle East during the first century. So the purchaser, the purchaser of these oxen has between 100 and 125 acres of land that he farms. So he's very wealthy. So you have a landowner. We don't know how much in the first excuse. The second one about a, a major landowner. The third excuse comes from a man who is the most defensive. Did you see how short the third man's excuse was? The third man's excuse was very terse. He just says, I just got married. Leave me alone. The first two ask to be excused. The third one doesn't ask. He simply, he simply gives his response and then he takes off. The three different excuses, they vary a little bit, don't they? But they're similar. They're similar in that financial and family concerns are more important than intending the celebration. Don't we do the same? We take good things, family and money, and we make them ultimate things. In fact, money and family might be the two most respectable ways we make good things ultimate things. And Jesus cautions us about both because he knows that they're traps. He knows that we fall into them and our hearts get entangled and they keep us from coming to the great banquet of pleasures. And instead, we eat at different banquets. We eat at the money banquet and the family banquet, hoping that we can be satisfied when we can only be satisfied in him. Look at verse 21. In verse 21, the second round of invitation goes out. And it's to the poor, the lame, the crippled, and the blind. And these groups, they actually respond. They respond to the invitation. They come to the banquet. And when you really look at these four terms, you see that they've got a physical component as well as a spiritual component. Think about the Beatitudes. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking about a spiritual condition of poverty. Well, Luke is the only other gospel that mentions the Beatitudes, and he phrases that Beatitude a little different. He says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you see what Luke left out? Luke left off in spirit. So who's right, Matthew or Luke? Both. And both are getting at that the two conditions of financial and spiritual poverty are interwoven. And so when we see this list of poor, lame, crippled, and blind, we've got to see what it's trying to communicate. And what it's trying to communicate is that we've got to realize that we lack the resources in and of ourselves to be in relationship with God. And unless you know that, you can't eat at the banquet. See, there's two types of people. There's those who are poor in spirit who come to the banquet, and there are those who are middle class in spirit and make excuses on why they can't come to the banquet. See, those who are middle class in spirit say, I know I'm a sinner, I'm not perfect. Those who are middle class in spirit, their sin is a vague idea as opposed to a particular condition that they can get specific about. See, deep down, the middle class in spirit, they think they have something to offer. While those who are poor in spirit say, I've done good things, but even the good things I've done are with bad motivations, therefore I need grace. See, if you're poor in spirit, you're perplexed by the invitation to be part of Jesus' kingdom. I mean, imagine being the, the poor, the lame, the blind, and the crippled in this passage. Can you imagine a really wealthy person in our city extending those kind of invitations to those kind of people? They would be shocked. And when you see that Jesus invites you to his banquet, you should be shocked too. But we often treat God lightly. We think too highly of ourselves. We like the humility to actually think of ourselves as bankrupt, spiritual and moral failures. So how do you know? How do you know whether you're poor or middle class in spirit? Well, look at the urgency of the invitation. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, the one giving the invitation is supposed to say, come for everything is now ready. Urgency. Look at verse 21, what the master says to his servant. Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city. And see, if you're poor, you respond to the invitation and you'll come immediately. On the other hand, if you're middle class, you think you can put the invitation off while you weigh your options. And waiting just puts you in control. Whereas accepting the invitation is putting the host in control. Friends, I know this is tough, but this is good news. That this means that there's no one who's too destitute, no one too marginalized, no one too sullied, sullied, no one too wretched to be crossed off the guest list. Regardless of your low status, regardless of your lack of religious fervor, you're invited to the banquet. See, the kingdom of God is a feast for paupers. But you have to view yourself as one in order to come. That's the first principle. First principle is that gospel, gospel hospitality is about being needy. The second principle is about, about gospel hospitality is that it's over-the-top generous. Look at the host's resources. He gives a great feast. 
and he has an unlimited capacity for the number of guests he can host. See, I don't know uh, if, you, uh, if you've been a part of wedding planning, uh, one of the biggest questions to answer is how many people are going to come? Now, I could, I could tell you a real long story about our wedding. You can probably tell one about yours if you've been married. Uh, but our guest list was really small. We just went as far as cousins on the family side and roommates, and that was it. And then my mother-in-law snuck a few invitations to her coworkers, and we didn't know that. But this banquet is endless. And this is radical. It's radical because Jesus lived in a society not, not unlike ours here in Lexington. And Jesus decided hospitality is only extended to those who can help you advance socially. Or who can provide you some security. See, if you share meals with accomplished people, then you can get them to help you enter certain circles of influence. Or if you share meals only with your close friends and family, they're able to give you a form of a cocoon of security that you need to feel safe in a harsh world. And if that's the way you deal with hospitality, then deep down we're just saying, I'm only going to share a meal with you if you can help me advance or you can help me feel safe. But true hospitality at its very core is motivated by love for the other alone. See, true gospel hospitality is is given, not exchanged. And this kind of hospitality is over-the-top generous, and Jesus is extending it to you. See, Jesus comes to you with no other motive than love. And when this warms your heart, it frees you from sharing meals with friends and family only. It enables you to share meals with strangers. Why is that? Well, it's because you're secure enough in your seat at Jesus' table that you don't need the affirmation of the guests at your table. You don't need them to help you advance socially. You don't need them to feel secure. See, when you're standing in the gospel, you're able to extend hospitality without expecting reciprocation. You see, gospel hospitality is over-the-top generous. Here's the last one. The third one, rejecting Jesus' hospitality leads to condemnation. It's a sad ending to the story. Did you catch it? It's not vindictive. The host isn't angry at the first three who give excuses for rejecting his offer. The host isn't angry at their temperament. He's not angry at their behavior. He's angry at their excuses. And it's really hard for many of us to conceive of God as being angry. See, our modern age teaches us that God is only love. And this loving God is characterized by being generically benevolent. And when we conceive of him in vague ways, we take his kindness for granted. And that makes God angry. So why does God take this so serious? He takes it serious because it costs him everything. Here's the story of the world. The story of the world, the story of history is that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have existed eternally. And even before creation, they experienced the greatest banquet ever. 
as they deferred to one another, as they sacrificed for the other, as they enjoyed one another. And they did so to the extent that they had to create the opportunity to extend hospitality past the three persons of the Godhead, and that's why they created mankind. They created us so that we could sit at the table and enjoy fellowship with him. But we get up from the banquet. We get up from the banquet because we sinned in Adam. We wanted to eat at all these other different banquets, like the banquet of family or the banquet, banquet of money. We think they're going to satisfy us better than the banquet we're seated at with God. So what does God do because we get up from the table? Well, God in his mercy wants us back at the table. But the only way we're getting back to the table is for Jesus to be exiled from the table. And Jesus is exiled. He takes our sins on his back at the cross where the Father forsook him and left him alone, cosmically, cosmically alone. He was expelled. He was expelled so that we could be included. And one day, we will sit with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at that great banquet with our resurrected bodies, and we're going to enjoy the finest affair, rich food, first-class drink. And maybe he's extended that invitation to you this morning. Maybe for the first time. Maybe the 500th time. And I hope you accept that invitation. Because if you do, you'll be able to be hospitable to others. Let me tell you what that might look like. I mean, think about it. Hospitality was Jesus' strategic plan for bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. Luke 7 says he came eating and drinking. And here at Hope, we want to do just that. I regularly get questions about what we're going to do for X or Y, for this or that here at the church. And my answer almost always is, have a meal. Parents will come to me distressed about their children. What are we going to do with our kids? Have a meal. Sit at the table with your children at home and ask them about their day. What are we going to do for the poor? Well, all of us go to Lighthouse if you're in a neighborhood group. Here's my suggestion. Don't just serve them. Sit down and eat. You ever see, if you ever drive by this church at any time, you'll see people hanging around on the front steps. Here's what I encourage you to do. Drive another quarter mile to the end of New Circle Road, and you'll see across the street to the right a fine establishment, Popeye's Chicken. Go to Popeye's Chicken. Buy some chicken sandwiches. Buy some fries, bring them back, and sit down with our friends on the front porch. Ask them their names. Ask them their stories. And offer to pray for them. What are we going to do for outreach? How are we going to reach those who are unchurched or de-church? Have a meal with them. Invite them into your home. Ask them how they're doing. Let them see you live out your faith. And pray for them. See, having people, especially strangers, in your home, having people who you are intentionally sharing meals with is essential for life in the kingdom. But we often <coughs> conceive that the centerpiece of the Christian environment should be a lectern. But for Jesus, it was a banquet table. 
We're usually not won over to Christianity by a lecture or a debate. We're won over by the extravagant love of Jesus through his people. So may Jesus be so kind to extend this hospitality to us so that we can extend it to strangers of all stripes. Let's pray. Father, this is a hard word for us this morning. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would just show us what it means to take one step forward. We need your help. In Christ's name, amen.